Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah... In our verses today, we're going to find two um, two themes in Isaiah 32 that are, I think, are very pertinent to where we are today as a society, as a world. The first thing we're going to see, we're going to see corrupt rulers who have a tendency to take advantage of their position as leadership to fulfill their personal desires. These are harsh rulers who unfairly seek bribes and wallow in the power that corrupts so easily. And today, this corruption occurs not just on one side of the aisle of our government, but on both. You know, a study was done in 2021 by Transparency International that found that the corruption in the United States is the worst in almost a decade. Out of the possible score of 100, which is the least corrupt, the United States has fallen from 76 to to 67. We have election fraud, and we always have election fraud. (laughs) And we have the corruption that is fostered by the amount of money that seems to flow into politicians' pockets and the corruption that's proliferated by the media. It's hard to believe that that, uh, corruption is running remiss. It's not hard to believe that. It's very easy to do. We, We see it. We see it happening. And in the meantime, our freedoms become eroded. You want to add to this the corruption that occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic and continues to occur. The number of times you read the newspaper of organizations and uh, places that took advantage of the money and are now having to pay it back or having to go to jail because they lied. They falsely had information, put information down in order to get something for nothing that they should never have gotten. Delia Rubio from the Transparency International calls COVID more than just a health crisis. It was a corruption crisis. Our healthcare systems and our drug companies have long been vulnerable to corruption. And what happens is happened is our doctors are finding themselves in a place where they have been having to decide whether to treat their patients the way they know they should or having to follow protocols from up above from people who are above them that actually line their pockets. You get people caught in the middle. According to Kaylee Griffin and Amy McKinnon of the Foreign Policy, another site, which is is a magazine that looks at corruption in our governments and our society, another side effect of the pandemic is that authoritarian governments have seized power and its excuse to silence critics to curtail civil liberties and increase surveillance. And the report found that high levels of corruption closely correlated with the reliance on undemocratic methods to control the pandemic. And I tell you these things not to not to criticize what's going on, what to, but to show you that corruption has always been a problem. It always will be a problem. You know, we've all heard the phrase, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But see, the reality is, it's not power that corrupts. It's the human heart. 
because the human heart is already corrupt. Power just gives the heart an opportunity to actually manifest and act out on the corruption that's already at the core of humanity. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This brings us to the second point we're going to see in these verses today. No matter how corrupt and evil the world may become, the power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to change everything. See, the only remedy to the problem of corruption, it's not, it's not more laws, it's not more policing, it's, not, it's none of that. The true answer, the true remedy for it in our world and evil is a heart of, it's at the heart of all mankind is the transformation of the heart through faith in King Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to Isaiah 32 and read what seems like, you know, similar things being repeated over and over again. And, and I, there's two possibilities as to why these chapters seem so similar all the time. Either people are so thick-headed that they just don't get it, which I think is a possibility. But I think there's also an importance laid upon what God is telling Isaiah to say. This is what Isaiah 32, verses 1 and 2 says. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. I mean, isn't that what we long for in our leaders? Don't we want our leaders to be honest? Don't we want our leaders to be righteous, our, 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 those below them to rule justly? We want justice. We want everyone to be treated right. We want everybody to be treated similarly. We don't want those in power to get special treatment. If you and I have to obey certain laws, shouldn't the people who made the laws have to obey those laws? Yes, that's just what we want. We want good and righteous leaders who are a blessing to the people instead of the curse. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 28.2 says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. The more righteous people who are leaders, the more righteous people who are in positions of authority there are, then the, the more we can rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. There's been a lot of groaning going on in our country over the last many years. Not just recently, but for a long time. Now, while there were some righteous kings in Israel, one of them being Hezekiah, during Isaiah's time, and, and or you could even say Josiah. Josiah was a righteous king. These verses may be talking about these human kings, and at the same time, I think they're pointing past any righteous human king, and it's pointing to the reign of the coming Messiah. This is something God does commonly in prophecy. He'll give you a picture of something, and that is a foreshadowing of something that's going to come. So I think that's what we're seeing here. So what makes the king a good leader? Or what makes any person a good leader? It's when they lead in righteousness. 
It's not all the other list of things we add to it as humans. You know, a good leader is someone who does what I want them to do and gives me what I need. And No, a good leader is a righteous leader. A righteous leader will be a shelter in the storm. A righteous leader is a servant leader. When, when Jesus came, I mean, you look at it, Jesus is the greatest leader there ever was. He, he was, he was, anything you need to know about your life, you could look at Jesus, that's what I need to be. He was, his relationships, he was good in relationships. Yes, he called people out when he needed to. But he also loved those that were hurting. He even said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. This is God in the flesh. He says, I didn't come down here for you to serve me. Even though he deserved it, he should have been served. He says, I didn't come to do that. But I came to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. He was willing to righteously lay down his life. And he says, Isaiah says, because the king is a righteous ruler, the princes rule with justice. Those are the ones who are below the king. Those are the ones who are administrating all the things that the king does. It tells them to do. And they're doing it. They're doing it with justice. If you don't, if you look at our government, any government today, and I'm not just talking about ours in the United States, I'm talking about any government, and you look at it, you see the corruption underneath, in the inside the government, you know who's to blame for that? The one that's at the top. We've all heard the term, the buck stops here. Those of us that are old enough, we've heard the term. I'm not so sure that kids today learn that term. Who was the president who said, who started that? Truman. Yeah, the buck. If anything was wrong, it was his fault. It stopped with him. I think the buck, it doesn't even get to the leaders anymore in our world. Since the king is a righteous leader, the princes rule with justice. It is the lordship of Christ in our lives that makes us new people. And this newness is the answer to all the corruption. Not just the corruption in the world, but the corruption inside of you and me. All the evil, all the failed human ideas that have littered our history. The answer is Jesus Christ. And this is the call to worship that I read this morning. Is This is a response to the righteous leader and the, kings, the king who's righteous and the princes who rule in justice. It says in verses 3 and 4, it says, Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. This is a response to a righteous ruler and princes who rule justly, is that we our eyes will be open. I think most of the time, most of our world walks around with blinders on. They don't want to know the truth because they know the garbage is out there. They know all the stuff that's out there. They know that the unrighteousness and the injustice that's going on, they just, just don't even tell me about it. I want, I want to trust my leaders. You can't. The only one you can trust is Jesus Christ. You can't even trust me. 
If I tell you something, you need to double check it. Unless I'm reading directly from Scripture. See, it's the Holy Spirit working in our lives that takes away this dullness that's that's happened in the fallen world. We, we get this dullness about it. And I don't mean we're like boring. That's not what it is. It's that our emotions we have been dulled by the, the stuff that's going on in our world. And unless we have something that opens our eyes, it's going to remain that way. And what does it is Jesus. He takes away the dullness. And it's fallen on our spirits. It wakens our hearts. This is what Paul talks us about this. He says in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, he says, Having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. He opens our hearts. We can see. Well, then why doesn't everybody open their hearts? Why doesn't, why doesn't everybody respond to the gospel? Because the dullness is still there. They haven't opened their heart. They haven't allowed it to come in and change them. With our hearts open and full of the hope of Christ, it changes us. But we have to open that door. See, uh, you, you know... You know a noble leader. You know a leader who is righteous because they stand out. And you know that what happens is where that comes from, the source of that is from their relationship with Jesus Christ. His lordship in their lives. It's not just about, oh, I know God, I know Jesus. No, it's about surrendering to him and allowing him to rule in your life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, righteous leaders are, will be open to God and to his word. Is it, God, is this what you want me to do? You know, I don't stand, I don't stand, you know, I don't stand in front of any human and, and, and have to answer for anything I do. No, I stand before God, almighty God, who knows everything I do and everything I think. See, there's, a, there's this definite contrast between a leader whose heart is turned towards God and God's ways and the leader who is corrupt and self-seeking. And that's what Isaiah talks about in verses five, starting with verse 5. He says, The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. See, those, those whose, whose hearts are not turned to God, they want to be called noble. They want you to think that they are good people. There are no good people, sorry. Even when Jesus, when they came and says, you know, what do we, um, you're, you're good, what do we do? You're, you're good, you know, what, is it, what, what does it mean to be good? And Jesus says, what do you do calling me good? Nobody is good but, but the Father, but God himself. We're not good. But see, a leader who is righteous, somebody who is righteous, they're going to show it. And those who are not, they just want the acclaims. They want to be held honorable. They want people to look at them. For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity, to practice ungodliness, to the utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, and deprive the thirsty of drink. 
As for the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to the ruin of the poor with lying words, even when the plea of the needy is right. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. Now I know, we, we look at people, we look at leaders, and we think, man, they're, they're, they're good. They're, they're a good leader. They're a righteous leader because of the things they, they try to do. But ultimately what we find out a lot of times is, they're not as noble as we think. Why? Because you can't hide your sin forever. Your sins will find you out. See, we have to evaluate. The, I think the problem we have today, and I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about in the world. Is we evaluate our leaders and how well they do what we want them to do. And what we should be doing, we should be evaluating them based upon how well they listen to God and do what God wants them to do. See, these leaders who are, are fools because they think, they think that they're doing the right thing because they give people what they want and they get what they want, and everybody's happy, right? No. Because evil deeds are still happening. Things are still not happening the way God wants them to happen. Psalm 14 tells us, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. See, our, our, our society today, we celebrate and we honor fools that are in a position of leadership. We do. They're given this place of honor. They're paid empty compliments in public sometimes. Other times, not so much. And then these leaders expect to be honored. These foolish leaders, they lead wicked lives of sexual immorality, gluttony, and greed. And many times they do that outside of the spotlight of our world. So we don't see that. But God does. And ultimately, that's going to feed into what they do in public. Because understand, if you're, if you're dark inside, it's not going to stay that way forever. It's going to make its way out. That's why we're told to guard our hearts. That's why we're told to, to tame our tongues. Because what happens? In a moment of weakness, we're going to say something we shouldn't say. And that is the evil that's inside of us that does that. There's actually research that's being done that when we are doing something we're not supposed to do, we find ourselves getting caught many times. And why is that? Why can't we continually hide our sins? Because the human psyche wants it to stop. So it does things. We don't do, it's, in, it's unintentional. It does things carelessly so that we get caught. But the amazing thing about that is God doesn't need our human psyche to do anything. Because he sees it all. And he knows it all. We must guard our hearts. Because the wickedness in this world actually stems from false doctrine. Our, our idea of who God is, our idea of what God does, our idea of what God has done, is going to do. 
We have to guard against false doctrine. What is, you know, so you got to know what true doctrine is. What are we, what is, what are the doctrines of the church? We know that number one, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came as a man. He's a fully God, fully human, fully God, fully human. He, he, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. His atonement on the cross saves us from our sins. The Bible is God's word inerrant in its original manuscript. It's not, there's no inconsistencies in it. It makes perfect sense. I'm sorry, there are people today in the church, in this, in the church and in our colleges, our Christian colleges, that's teaching against good doctrine. They are. And we wonder why our society is falling apart, why it seems like things are crazy. That's why. It's so important for us to guard our hearts from the false doctrine of this world. It's like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Jesus, I know he loved the Pharisees. I mean, he really did. He, loves, he loved everybody. But sometimes in love, you have to call somebody out. In love, you have to tell them the truth because they've been lying to themselves. He says, but you need to make sure that you tell them the truth, though. Not to worry about Jesus. He'll tell the truth. He says to them in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You say one thing and you're doing something else. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. The cup looks good. Isn't that a beautiful cup? And you turn it over and it's green and black and stuff's growing in it. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. afraid that that is the, the, the route that many in, in the church today take. My sins are my sins. I'll worry about them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell anybody about them. I'm just going to deal with them. But outside they look like they're just perfect. Clean the inside. That's why we must live a life of repentance. Because none of us can be perfect. None of us. But the righteous leader is not like these Pharisees. A righteous leader finds dignity in bowing to the lordship of Christ in their lives. Now, Isaiah is going to take a little turn here. And, and, and um, ladies, I don't want you to be offended by this. And we'll talk about this a little bit. But here's what he says. He says, rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In a little more than a year, you will shudder. You complacent women, for the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourself bare, and tie sackcloth around your waist. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful wine, for the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the exultant city. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Now, is Isaiah picking on women? No. 
Sounds like it, but no. What he's doing, he's singling out the women of his day as an example. you got to remember that when this was written, it was harvest time. It was about this time. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, my house has been full of all kinds of vegetables and fruits, and we've been canning like crazy, so much so that I'm so sick of canning. We still got, we still got stuff in the freezer from last year that we didn't get canned that we got to get out and start canning it. It's a joyous time. The fresh fruit we get to eat, the pears and the, the apples and the peaches. Oh, man, the peaches we got to eat this year. It's a, it's a fun time. It's great. It's a time of plenty. Our houses are full of joy and fullness. That's, that's the way it was in Israel at this time. It was the harvest time. But see, what Isaiah is telling them is you're, you're, you're celebrating because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Or what's going to happen in a few months? You should be mourning. The women of Jerusalem are an illustration of the spiritual complacency that seems to plague us. I, I think that this is a this is something that has really plagued our churches today: is spiritual complacency. We've gotten comfortable with being able to come and sing a song and sing a couple songs and listen to a sermon and go home. We've been felt comfortable. We've, we've been comfortable with being able to not have to worry about reading our Bibles in public. We've taken it for granted. And that's what these women were doing. Because see, what happens is complacency gives us this false sense of momentary indulgence. Think about this. So I get I get three bushels of peaches off my tree. I actually got more than that. But let's say I got three bushels of peaches off my tree. So what do I do? Oh, yeah, I love peaches. So we're making peach cobbler. We're making peach jam. We're, make, we're making peach this. We're eating peaches every day. We have peaches for every meal. And within a week, the peaches are gone. Now, what are we going to do next week? What are we going to do six months from now? Peaches are gone. Now, I know. Today you can go to the store. There was a day you couldn't get peaches all year round. Now you can. They're not as good as right off the tree. But we, we get into the spiritual complacency. We get comfortable with where we're at. So while the men are in court, wringing their hands, worrying over the Assyrians who are out there getting ready to attack, knowing that they're going to come and they're going to take the city, which God had said would he would take care of. They're worrying about things they shouldn't even have to worry about. Fear has overtaken them, and they don't even have, they shouldn't be worrying about it at all. The men, the women, they can't see past the deals that they're getting in the marketplace. We do that. How many times you've been driving along and like you see the gas like this week was like 409, and you know it drops to 385. You're like, yeah, I'm saving money. You realize that just a little over. A year and a half ago, it was down below $3. And, you know, we, we, we don't see past the end of our nose many times, and that's what these women are doing. This is the kind of happiness that can kill us. Earthly contentment without any longing for God. The kingdom of God is not a place for escapists or elitists. It's not a place for selfish materialism. See, as I said last week, the only way is God's way. 
The way out of our soul-destroying complacency is to listen to the gospel with a heart that is open and accept even the hard truths that are calling us to change, calling us to give up our selfish ways, calling us to surrender to God, to surrender to Christ, the very things we don't want to do. Because, see, God knows what we need, and he tells us in his word how we are to live. James tells us in James 4, he says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is not saying that we should always be sad. I mean, nobody, believe me, nobody wants to hang around a bunch of people who are sad all the time. They don't. People would not want to come in here and if it was just, oh, oh, we're terrible today. Isn't life awful? Would you want to hang around someone like that? But what if we said, hey, oh man, life is tough, but you know what? God is still good. Isn't that awesome? That's what it's saying. It's saying we need to humble ourselves to God and he will exalt us. We need to realize who we are and who we are not. We are sinners in need of a Savior. The spiritual nature of God is the reality. Remember we said, I said last week that it's the Spirit. The Spirit is stronger than the flesh. A lot of times we think the flesh is stronger because we allow the flesh to rule. But it's lying to us. The Spirit is stronger. The spiritual nature of God is a reality that dominates everything. God promises to pour out his spirit upon us with life-enriching abundance. But the thing is, judgment also comes as part of that. It's going to come to Jerusalem, and it's going to come to the rest of the world. It's going to come to us one day. Verse 15, Isaiah 32, it says, Until the spirit is poured upon us from on high... And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Why? Because the righteous king has come. See, God's renewal of his people is central. It's the central message of the book of Isaiah. And it comes into focus in these verses. God's not talking about a little drop of the Holy Spirit that he's going to give us. He's he's talking about an outpouring. At Pentecost, God poured out his spirit on the disciples in the upper room. And he continues to do so today. You're like, yeah, Pastor, I have not not felt any outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you think it's the Holy Spirit or do you think it's you? I don't know about you, but I think it's me. Half the time, it's I'm the, half the time, most of the time, I'm the problem. Because I'm not looking for it. I'm not opening myself up to God. I'm I'm not doing the things I should do. Thinking the things I should think. See, because God pours his very love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit so that we can boast in our sufferings with this incomprehensible hope, this hope that makes no sense whatsoever. 
Paul says in Romans, he's therefore, since we, you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And the endurance provides character, and the character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. What he is saying is, you know, we, we, we have this great hope in God, and we praise that we're so, we're so, so excited and giddy about the fact that we have salvation through Christ. But we also know that even in our times of suffering, we can praise that too, because what happens? That suffering helps us endure if we work through it and do it. And that endurance produces character. I don't know about you, I've learned more through suffering than I have through having an easy life. I've learned more through times of trial than, than times of joy. I've learned more through making mistakes than I have by doing it right a thousand times. This weekend, yesterday, Seth and Paul and I were building my mom's shed. We made a mistake. Do you think we're going to make that mistake again? Never. We've learned. You know? That's where we learn. And it builds our character. And then that does that produces hope. Hope in what? Hope in myself and my own abilities? No. Hope in Christ. Because Christ can get us through this. And hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because of God's love. And all of this, all of this is because we have a righteous king who isn't swayed by human opinion, who isn't swayed by human laws and people wanting things that they don't deserve, who isn't swayed by the influence and the greed of our country, of our nation, of our world. And the effect of that righteousness is made possible by the Holy Spirit being poured into our lives. It's not complacency that Isaiah is preaching against. Even though he does use that as an example for the women and for all of us being spiritually complacent. He's not preaching against that. But, but, but the results in a true peace. He's talking about, he's preaching against this idea that we need to have true peace, true quietness. And true assurance. And it doesn't happen by putting our trust on anything in this world. It only happens through putting our trust in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ. And then there's this undeniable truth of God. Verse 19. It says, And it will hail when the forest fall down. And the city will be utterly laid low. Man, we're, before we're talking about God putting us in places and, 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 and putting us living in a place that's safety where there's righteousness. Now all of a sudden we're turning the corner. Now it says, and, and it will hail when the forest falls down and the city will be utterly laid low. Happy are you who sow beside all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. See, the newness of God is not going to allow the world to stay the way it is. It's not going to allow it to be unchanged. When God moves, both the world and the church are in for a big surprise. God is going to remake things. He's going to completely change everything back to what it was supposed to be in the garden. But until that time, the world has gone haywire. The world, and he's allowed it. He knew it was going to happen. God is sovereign. It's, it's not like you know he has no control over it. He's allowing this to happen because he wants to show us something amazing. And what I think what we're going to see, probably in my lifetime, I hope, is God do some amazing things to change this world. 
But in the meantime, we're going to go through some really difficult times. So we can't have that spiritual complacency. We can't, we got to clean the inside of our hearts. We've got to have, we can't be whitewashed tombs, dead on the inside, look, but looking beautiful on the outside. When God moves, we're in for a big surprise. We go to Revelation 21. It says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. If God says he's going to do it, it's going to happen. Understand, if we are here when things really get bad, it's going to be all worth it. Sometimes we wonder if it's worth it. We really do. When we're in the midst of our trials, when we're feeling, we're feeling the weight of the world upon our shoulders, when we have leaders who are unrighteous and doing stupid things that you just don't make are foolish, and I don't just mean politically, I mean our bosses, you know, it comes all the way down to our employment, our neighborhoods. You see people doing crazy things, acting foolishly. All, all those things, in the end, when God begins to change things, it's going to be well worth it. Because it's going to lead to a time of peace that mankind, we have been longing for since the fall in the garden. We've been longing for this peace. And it's all made possible because God in his all-powerful way became weak for us. God, who is wise, became foolish for us at the cross. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do as we, as we look at this ancient book? How does it change us? Well, first of all, we must do what it says in Micah 6.8. I love this verse. I really do. It's one of these verses I have to keep reminding myself. It says, He has told you, O man... What is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? He says, you've been told this. You have no excuse. He has told you what to do. So don't walk around acting like you have no idea how you are supposed to live your life. You have it right there. You are to do justice you are to love kindness, and you will walk humbly with your God. We must pray for our for godly leaders to set the example for the rest of the world. And we also need to pray for those ungodly leaders who are in power right now. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will transform their lives because the Holy Spirit can do it if they open themselves up. But we need to pray that God will move in the lives of all of our leaders, those who are, who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. We need to make noble plans, and we need to see them through. Do not be someone who says they're going to do something then doesn't do it. If you say you're going to do something and it's a good thing, then do it. Do everything you can to make it happen. We must hate spiritual complacency. Do not fall into spiritual complacency. Well, you know, I've got my salvation. I'm good. I really don't need to, I don't need to grow and stretch myself anymore. Yes, you do. You always should. We also got to be ready to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that? 
I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit falling on me and me able to speak in tongues, saying a bunch of gibberish that we see a lot of times and we watch videos today. No, this is about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We need to fully embrace those things. Allow those things to grow in us. The Holy Spirit also gives us the power to hear God speak through His Word. You want to know why when you read something in the Scripture and all of a sudden and you've read it a thousand times and all of a sudden, man, that, whoa, whoa, I get that. I understand that now. Why is that? Is it because you were so you were dumb before and dense? No, it was because now the, now the Holy Spirit has given you the power to understand it. Seek that. Before you sit down to read, pray, Lord, open my heart and my eyes to this. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to understand this. Don't just sit down and read it because that's what you need you should do. Actually ask God to help you understand it. He also gives us the power to witness to the lost. You're like, oh man, I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus. I don't know what to say. I'd, I'd probably say something they'd never want to be a Christian ever in their whole life. So you're telling me that you have more power than the Holy Spirit because you can keep him from speaking through you to somebody who he's trying to reach, who he's been working on for their whole life to bring to this one moment in time where you're going to tell them about Jesus. And you think that you have the power to usurp the power of the Holy Spirit and not tell someone about Christ. No. No, he'll give you the words to say. And it's pretty simple. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know he's God and he came and he... He lived a life like we do. He was fully God, fully man. I don't fully understand how that happens, but that's what the Bible tells, you, tells us, and I believe it. And he died on the cross for our sins, and now we are saved. And if we just turn to him and surrender ourselves to him, we're, we too will be resurrected like he, will, he was on the third day. And yeah, it's not going to make your life perfect, but boy, it's going to make it so you can make it through. I mean, that's all you got to tell them. And then let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. And see, in that process, what he does, he gives us the power to bear a harvest that doesn't just last until all the jars are gone off the, off, out of the basement. No, he's going to give us the power to harvest something that's going to last for eternity. But we need, to be, we need to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we also need to long for the new heaven and the new earth. This is what John wrote in Revelation 7. And one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know, basically saying, I have no idea, but I know you know, and you're going to tell me. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's, that's what it's going to be. In heaven. It's going to be in his presence. Him sheltering us. No more pain. No more sorrow. 
No more unrighteous rulers. No more princes who do injustice. Only the lamb on the throne who is our shepherd, wiping away every tear from our eyes. And how do we, how do we experience that? How do we know we're going to experience that? Well, first of all, God said so. But second of all, it's because we have our faith. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and make him Lord of our lives. And that is the only way we can be righteous whether we are leaders or followers. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.